0: Have you ever seen anything like this which seems... Well, joining me now on the line is Jill Rutter, a Senior Research Fellow at UK in a Changing Europe. And Jill um, has also worked for a very long time in Whitehall and Number 10 as a Senior Government Advisor. Hi, Jill. Hi, Aisha. Well, it's great to have you on. What do you make of this? Because you've worked in Number 10. You have worked at the absolute top of of, of Whitehall. What do you make about this row?
1: Uh, (laughs) I think I would slightly say I don't think I've seen anything really like it uh, like it before. Uh, Actually, the sort of interesting thing about the latest instalment of Cummings and Johnson's relationship is the thing it almost reminds me most of is the sort of Neil Kinnock, that famous uh, Labour Party conference speech when he was going on about, you know, do you remember that? A Labour council, a Labour council uh, doing that. This is rather... Dominic Cummings? Dominic Cummings is lecturing the Prime Minister about integrity and ethics in public life. It's come to this. Does seem a very, very strange turn of events. Um, And the Prime Minister, I think, has yet again been caught out by what appears to be an inability to think more than half a step ahead.
0: And Jill, do you think, does, will this, does, do you think this matters outside the Westminster village? And should it matter outside the Westminster village? Uh,
1: will it matter? It's always quite difficult to tell what comes, what has cut through, what did have cut through last year. Clearly, was the Dominic Cummings, Barnard Castle uh, foray, and Dominic Cummings is somebody who is lodged in the public persona as somebody who's yeah the face of this government. So, uh, and I think the sense if you know Cummings pursues this, the sense that the Prime Minister was trying to, you know, get people to bail him out of a financial hole he'd got his uh, his fiancee into, that he'd been, you know, trying to subvert government processes for, you know, personal convenience. None of those are good looks. And I think it does sort of add to a bit of a mounting charge sheet. So it may be that at some point we get to a tipping point when there is just so much that people sit up and take notice. But I do think it does matter because the thing is we have a sort of system which placed an awful lot of trust in the prime minister. The prime minister draws up the rules for his ministers. He appoints the person to advise him on those rules. He decides whether that person is allowed to investigate. And then he decides whether that person's findings merit any action against his cabinet colleagues. And so ultimately, if this is all built on a rather rickety foundation of a Prime Minister who one of his uh, former colleagues described as a vacuum of integrity uh, on the radio earlier this morning, then that's a pretty shaky foundation for the whole set-up. And I think uh, we do need to probably take another look about whether we don't need more robust rules and a more robust system of enforcement so the Prime Minister isn't a sort of rulemaker, you know, investigator, mm. policeman, judge and jury and sentencing authority in all of this. I mean, we don't allow that in other parts of public life and I think increasingly it looks as though we can't leave this all to Prime Minister's judgment here.
0: Yes, and, and we knew uh, Sir so, so Alex Allen, who was the sort of um, leading person looking at the ministerial court, he obviously, he left famously after um, the Pretty Patel uh, report which found that she had breached the ministerial code, but then he um, resigned, and there hasn't been a, a, an advisor. And as you say, the, the prime minister is the sort of judge and jury um, on on that. But but Jill, look, but to be absolutely you know honest um, about the situation. I mean, I mean, I am you know I'm pretty clear about. I think this is pretty terrible. However, I also work to Number Ten, and there's always rows within Number Ten. Um, you know. Th- even under the Blair government, and you know, there was a there was a huge psychodrama between Tony Blair and, and Gordon Brown. Tony Blair got caught up very early in his premiership um, with this whole taking a donation from Bernie Eccleston and and there was this issue of you know was 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 that kind of breaching propriety and, and ethics. I mean, there are always these tensions. Every prime minister at some point faces these questions over who who has their ear, um, who curry's favour. Is that not just part of the ebb and flow of power?
1: It is. I mean, of course you get that and people curry favour and, you know, Prime Ministers you know, we don't let we don't sort of put the Prime Minister in a, a sort of socially distanced hermetically sealed bubble and say this guy's now Prime Minister. You're not allowed to speak to them. Some might say Theresa May actually conducts herself a bit too much like that yes. rather than the reverse, so we like our Prime Ministers to be out there. But Prime Ministers equally need, and I think Tony Blair recognised this, if you sort of notice, you know, I mean, he went on TV after the Eccleston thing, he realised, maybe he didn't realise, maybe Alistair Campbell realised on his behalf, but Number 10 realised they needed to put in place a pretty rapid damage limitation exercise to say honestly yeah we got this wrong we're paying it back uh you know trust me remember the sort of pretty straight guy's comment i don't think boris johnson's going to go the pretty straight guy's defense very quickly he doesn't seem to be reaching for that one indeed he doesn't seem to particularly want to answer any questions about that so i think there's a big question here about do we have a prime minister who does sort of recognize limits or is he you know as a stuff about the redecoration number 10 which at one level is deeply trivial um do we have somebody who actually realizes he shouldn't be getting himself as prime minister in hock to whoever has a big enough checkbook to you know to bail him out on this one we know that there are lots of reports that the prime minister is finding being in number 10 a bit constraining financially I mean, yeah, you know, this isn't how we want the Prime Minister doing business. I mean, you know, I was much less worked up than lots of other people about the sort of Dyson approaches. I thought, actually, you know, James Dyson, debate whether it was at all sensible to ask him to participate in the ventilator challenge. But I think if he was going to, it was the world's most bizarre thing. I've seen okay. lots of it before when I was at the Treasury asking, you know, well, I don't want my guys just. You know, incur tax liability they otherwise wouldn't because of this. Can you sort it? But the Prime Minister should have known better than to sound like a sort of incredibly needy person, just sort of, you know, Boris will fix it. I mean, Mm. that's not a good look either. He should have made sure these things are done properly. And I think it's the sense that does this Prime Minister have any concept of what doing things properly? you know, out okay. in the open, uh, will withstand even a moment's scrutiny. I think it's a sense he doesn't know where those limits are, so That is very damaging at the moment. Okay, and I should think number 10 are really worried about what Dominic Cummings may have to say next.
0: Yes, well, absolutely. I mean, I feel like this story um, is not over. Well, look, as ever, always great to speak to you, Jill, and get your expert insight and experience. That was Jill Rutter, Senior Research Fellow at UK in a Changing Europe. This is,